From understanding the news of today to explaining principles which will last a lifetime, you're listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, equipping pastors and church leaders across rural America and beyond to meet the challenges of ministry while advancing the kingdom of God in your local community and in our world. I am here with Pastor Todd Stanley. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're hearing this. Hey. Uh, All right, so today I want to talk about anger. And when I think about this issue, this is really something that uh, I know for myself, I I almost aspire to be someone who never gets angry, but I don't know if that's a good (laughs) aspiration because angry doesn't feel good, right? Like a lot of times it's just, it it hurts. It's painful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. Then, Then I start to think, okay, imagine if you had, if your spouse never, ever got angry with you. For anything there would be situations wherein uh you could do something that deserves anger and if you don't receive anger it's like almost an indication that that person doesn't care about you yeah i could see that i mean um maybe maybe it would be helpful for us to differentiate between anger and rage uh because i think that there are things that we should be angry about i mean there are things that god is angry about if you know according to scripture right he's angry about sin um he gets angry when his people um fail to follow his command um jesus is angry about what he sees in the temple Uh, You know, Paul is angry about Peter and the Judaizers and all the things, you know. And so there are things that we should be angry about. uh, But I think we should differentiate between that and rage. And rage is when we have a loss of self-control, right? That's when when we stop exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, You know, Paul's um, encouragement to us in Ephesians is, be angry, but do not sin. And so uh, I think it's important for us to have a distinction between those two things. And then, then we go, okay, well, then if, if there's a place for anger, what should we be angry about and how should we express it? So we could say then that part of righteous anger, a necessary ingredient of righteous anger is self-control. Like if you lose control of yourself, probably your anger is not righteous, even if it is in response to something that's a real injustice. Absolutely. So that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so when you think about pastors, how should pastors handle anger? I mean, we, we get lots of situations arise, I'm sure, that are hurtful or, you know, you have to deal with people who are stubborn or obstinate mm-hmm. um, or maybe uh, are out for their own thing, misquoting scripture, like all these sorts of things that might inspire feelings of anger. In the context of church ministry, when dealing with people from the congregation, when you're angry, what do you tend to do? Do you tend to uh, meet with the person or do you just tend to kind of back off and wait? How do you how do you handle that? Um, I mean, personally, my tendency is to to back off, to stuff it, to honestly, probably if I were to err in some way, it would be by not taking action. Uh, I tend to be a little afraid of my anger, <laughs> and so I will tend to, to do nothing and want, kind of want to sweep stuff under the rug and, and let sleeping dogs lie, as it were, and um, and, and that's not always a good thing. Um, you know, I, I think that there's there's got to be a healthy balance between um, being reactionary and, and 
and on the opposite end, you know, doing nothing. I think there has to be a healthy balance between the two. Uh, and I think it's important for us to know ourselves well enough to know what our tendencies are and, and then submit those to the Lord. So you mentioned being afraid of your anger. And I think about this too, like, is that is that because of situations in the past where you've let it get the best of you and then the consequences of that are not desirable. And so like, that's how it is for me. It's like, I just, I say, I say stupid things. I say dumb things. And then, (laughs) uh, I say things that I don't mean. And then that leads to all sorts of other messes that spin off from the original mess. And so I guess it could just be something as simple as that. Like just wanting to avoid the, the, the catastrophe that comes from having that interaction when emotions are high and when tempers are hot and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, For me, because I will tend to um, avoid conflict. And so, but what happens then is I kind of store up conflict, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. until it boils over. And uh, if I am not careful, then, then when my anger does express itself, it, it, it's, you know, uh, I yell or I scream or, you know, like they it kind of explodes. And, uh, and it's been a long time since I've done anything like that, but it's something that I have to constantly be aware of, constantly be surrendering to the Lord. Um, it's one of those things where I have to go, okay, I can't continue just to store up conflict and, you know, like stuff it down and yeah, not, yeah. you know, and ignore issues and that kind of thing. So uh, part of learning for me to be, healthy both spiritually and emotionally and then healthy as a leader has been to learn how to lean into conflict and say okay let's let's talk about this um while uh you know while it's manageable before it gets out of hand uh and then to like if we're going to talk about the difference between righteous anger and just being angry we have to then begin to differentiate between you know what is God angry about and what am I angry about? Because if it's going to be righteous anger, then it should be something I think that, that God's angry about. Yeah, and I think you point out a useful difference here. So not all anger is hot, right? Like some anger is is cold and corrupting. And I think that that happens whenever we let the hot... So the hot anger comes, like somebody does something that really sets you off. And you maybe you leave the scene or you get away from it because you're trying to be wise. You're trying not to say things you don't mean. But then if you never address the issue it doesn't like the temperature goes down, but then it becomes cold and it turns into resentment and bitterness and and it starts to eat at you in a different way. And like you said, uh, like you just said, it could lead to a big blow up. Like we're just all the the volcano comes back up. And (laughs) then, and so when that happens, do you find that the damage from it is lasting? Like, is it, is it something that, you know, we talk about grace and forgiveness and we talk about it a lot in the context of romantic relationships Mm -hmm. and marriages. Um, is that a place where grace and forgiveness is called for when there's like a big blow up or is that, or do you find that in most marriages when that happens, those things are just lasting. Like they're really hard to recover from. What's your take on that? Yeah. Well, uh, there's a whole lot to unpack there for sure. And, uh, by the way, we're joined now by Pastor Mel Massengale. Uh, I've been here the whole time. I just, just have, yeah, I've just held my, held my tongue. <laughs> I just haven't had anything to contribute. So, but I think certainly within the context of a marriage relationship, grace and forgiveness is called for. I mean, uh, that we're in a covenant relationship, and especially as followers of Christ, um, that that should always be you know something that that we value highly. Um, and so 
So certainly, I think in the marriage relationship, it is called for. In relationship between any two believers, I think grace and forgiveness is always called for. Uh, now, we have to then sort out what things look like beyond that. Um, there are certainly times when um, walking in close relationship may not be possible afterward. It depends on the, the offense and the the uh, heart of the two parties in regard to it, all those kind of things. Mel, you want to weigh in on that? Uh, yeah. So obviously I'm, I'm catching the tail end of some of this, but um, I think forgiveness uh, is utilitarian in that um, we think forgiveness is for the other person, but it's not. It's right. for me. So like my life, my quality of life actually improves when I forgive my spouse. It's not that my spouse's life is better. It will be because my heart's better, right? But yeah. I am actually better whenever I choose to forgive. So even if even if you don't have a biblical basis for this where you're like, okay, I have to forgive, right? Forgive as you've been forgiven. I've got to do that. Okay, fine. I choose to forgive. Like even if it's just selfishly motivated, it would it's worthwhile for us to go, okay, I choose to forgive because the – my heart is healthier. The quality of our relationship is going to be yeah. better. But I agree with what you're saying. There are things that um, that mark a relationship, no matter what it is, that maybe you say, hey, I can forgive and I can still love at a very high level, but our relationship has to be different because of what happened. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's true in, in the church, for, you know, for pastors, for spouses, for whatever it might be. So I want to ask you this. Um, and I've heard this anecdotally. I've never actually watched this happen. I've never, never watched an episode like this happen um, in my life. But it, anecdotally, I've heard that there are adults who can become overcome with rage such that they begin to act like toddlers, like like really, like they'll, they'll roll around on the floor and all this. When something like that happens, if you are a believer who loses trust in that person as a consequence of that singular episode, is the problem with you for losing the trust or is it with the, or is there a, a deep problem in the person for being so overcome by anger in that moment? Well, are, are we called scripturally to trust others? <laughs> I mean, I could make a pretty strong case that I'm called to love others that yeah. I'm required to love them, whether I trust them or not. And you could say, well, trust is part of love. And I would say, I don't know that it is right. Like I could, I think I can love someone without saying I trust you with my heart. Like I'm, I choose to love you, but I also, uh, I also make a decision to protect myself against your yeah. unscrupulous behavior or your, um, um, your behavior that is driven by your feelings or you know whatever it might be. So I don't know. I think I could make a case that I don't have to trust somebody necessarily. Yeah. Um. I mean, I've had friends, you know, like. I I love them, mm -hmm. but I don't trust them to show up on time. Yeah, right. Like yeah. I, they're just not going to. Or if you know, if if I'm moving, they're not the guy I'm going to call to come and help me move. Right. And so it's not that I don't love them. I love them deeply. They're my friends. I you know, um, but there's you know there's a level of trust that I don't have in regard to them because just of their their personality of who you know so so much of this is about accurately identifying uh what a human being is then so think of it like this 
if an alligator came up to you and bit your arm off, you would be sad. <laughs> you would be upset mm-hmm. about that. It, it would it would make you feel negative emotion, um, but you wouldn't try to prosecute the alligator, right? But, it, but if a person came up to you out of an alley and attacked you with a hatchet and lopped your arm off, right? that person would be held to a higher standard of justice because of what we know that they think we know mm-hmm. well, they have because, moral agency. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but at the same time, we human beings are, are not in a spot where they can be held to perfect accountability either. Mm-hmm. And so that might come back to this idea of not trusting them, not, not putting your faith in them mm-hmm. because they're not proper receptacles of faith. Yeah. And so maybe that's part of this because I, I, I people are going to hear and they're going to struggle with this idea of not trusting people because it's like, okay, well, how do I love at all? How do I not become yeah. like C.S. Lewis had a, has a beautiful quote about this and I'm not going to recapitulate it here because I'll butcher it. But it's something like, you know, you, you a person who doesn't trust, refuses to trust, uh, refuses to be vulnerable, that their heart mm-hmm. gets hardened. Yeah. And um, people... Well, and, and I think that's probably talking about was that in the the four loves is that where he talks about that it might have been um i recall it, seeing that but i don't yeah, remember where i think it was in a grief observed okay yeah, yeah. there it is um so I, I believe he's talking about generally speaking so yeah. when when i when i don't trust mankind my heart will get hardened um but if i if i decide, hey, this person has hurt me and this person has hurt me again and again, and I'm going to choose to extend Christ-like love to them, but I'm also not going to be um, silly enough to let them continue to hurt me. Um, I feel like that's that is that's not a, a um, condition by which we harden our hearts as much as it is exercise wisdom in regard to a specific person. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And it's one thing I think to, to not trust anyone, to close ourselves off to everyone, um, is different than, um, making an educated judgment based on history and Mm -hmm. uh, a lack of change or you know that kind of thing and i think it's important too for us to say you understand that trust is a continuum right mm-hmm. uh, going back to my example with my friends there those friends just because they were late or i wouldn't trust them to help me move doesn't mean i wouldn't trust them with anything doesn't mean i don't trust their character even like that i might you know i might share intimate details about my life with them knowing that they would never uh, you know um, break that trust that they are trustworthy in that regard. And so trust is a continuum. It's not, you know, it's either I trust you or I don't. Right. It, it, it's there, you know, there it's, there's some gray. There is a varied mm-hmm. thing. It's yeah. gray. Like you can think of this with, if you have little kids, um, you love your little kids, like with everything that you are, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have little kids, but I imagine that's how it feels. Yeah. But you don't trust them to walk across the street by themselves. Yeah. And it's not that they are, a moral failure and that's why you don't trust them it's just that you know that they don't have the capacity to do that yet and so mm-hmm. like there's all these elements that are playing into trust which i think is fascinating we might do a an episode entirely dedicated to trust uh, in the future okay so todd and i walked through this a little bit but i'm curious what your answer is on this um when as a pastor like how how do you handle anger so for instance um i never get anger <laughs> that's, yeah that's that's one of my aspirations no. too Someday. Okay, sorry. I'll let you finish. This uh, okay, so someone comes into your office, like just drops a bomb on you, um, and your impulse is anger. Yeah. Uh, what do you do personally? Do you just do you back off of it? Do you wait? Um, 
do you, how long do you wait before you follow up? Do you hand it off to someone else? How do you, how do you work through it? Uh, it, a hundred percent depends on what the circumstance is. Um, typically I'm not confront in, in the role I'm in. I'm not confronted with, um, with the person who's responsible for something. Usually they're not the ones coming to me and going, Hey, this happened. And now they're the the source of that problem, right? It's usually like, hey, something happened. They they told their supervisor. Their supervisor tells me that you know something happened. Somebody reports it back to me, and so that buys me some time to be able to go. You know what? I'm not going to respond right now. Um, like we had a we had a, a terrible weekend in Blairsville one weekend at a, a location, and um, and I heard about it, and it was bad. And I was like, you know what? I'm not responding to anything today on Sunday. He's like, we're going to talk about this tomorrow because if I respond today, um, it's going to be bad. Like, it's not going to be a godly response. It's going to be visceral. It's going to be right. All those things. So it's like, yeah, I've got to delay this. We're going to talk about it tomorrow when I'm I'm a little more collected. And um, and so I feel like everybody, like the people that are listening to this, you know your heart. You know what you're prone to. Um, and I don't get mad very easily, but there are some things that, you know, pull the trigger and it's like, okay, there it is. Like, you know, and so I know what those things are. Um, and, and it's important for me to just know where my boundaries are, my emotional boundaries and, and just pay attention to that. Yeah. This, this is uh, I'm curious about this. This is going to sound a little bit esoteric, but, um, man, this is just fascinating to me. What is the thing that is observing yourself possessed by anger in a moment that tells you maybe you shouldn't entertain that right now because there's, there's something, look, if mm-hmm. you're so angry that, that if you respond to someone, you're going to say things you don't mean, then you are being controlled by anger in that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then there is a thing in you that is observing that and is perfectly rationally and as far as I know, this also happens with people who are drunk and people who have, uh, you know, are in situations and, you know, people can debate with me on that, whatever. I think, I think it's true. I think that there is an observer mm-hmm. that is commenting on the things that you're about to do and it's saying, no, maybe you shouldn't do that yet. And it's like, okay, well, why, why isn't that thing being touched by the rage that is consuming mm-hmm. all other parts of you? Yeah, I, I call that thing the Holy Spirit. That's where, that's where I thought we would land, but yeah, yeah, yeah. and and uh, yeah, there is something to that. I don't, and honestly, I'm trying to think of the last time I was like really angry, but um, I think and I'm trying to think, but I, I I really do think there was part of me that was like, "Yep, I know how I respond if we have this conversation right now." Like I just know, and um, and it's better for me to be in control and not have that talk than to have the talk and potentially be a little out of control. So yeah, I feel like that is the Holy spirit. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's, I liken it a little bit to like men in combat, right? Because your, your, your sympathetic nervous system reacts, but part of the skill that you learn as a soldier Mm -hmm. is the training to identify that and then to um to exercise control in those moments uh to to push back against that i think dealing with our anger is very much 
a similar kind of thing. You can feel when your sympathetic nervous system kicks in. You can feel when that kind of fight or flight response comes. Um, and it is a it is a matter of self-discipline and surrender to the Holy Spirit to be able to say, I am not going to succumb to this. I'm going to maintain my control in this moment, right? I'm going to do the, some some combat breathing, right? As mm-hmm. the, like the Marines, yeah. or you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to walk away in this moment and and recollect myself and count to ten, whatever you know, whatever tools you need to use. Uh, but but that's the thing that we have to recognize that we we can still maintain control in those moments. We may not be able to, you know, do away with that that reactive feeling in our bodies but if we can identify it then we we have we have a better opportunity in a, you know to say okay hold on yeah that's just one of the thinking thinking that through is one of the things that makes human beings so amazing i think that the fact that we're able to rise above and see and um so anyway i will say though when when you're confronted with something um in a like a bad moment there is something um really um sounds evil to say it this way really pleasing to me about zinging somebody who's just out to get you like in that moment just kind of you know not hulking out you know what i mean where you just give into it but just given like one degree where you're like okay i'm not gonna do that but i'm gonna do this and just zinging them just right oh it just feels so good and i know that's not biblical i can't imagine jesus ever being like hey we turn the other cheek unless they're a real a-hole then right like yeah so uh but i will say just from the the human perspective um there have been a few instances where people have been i i had the moral right right but I still, in that moment, was like, oh, it feels good to kind of get them yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's useful for people to hear from you guys, you know, having been in ministry for decades, that you st- still have that kind of, you know, yeah, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> that temptation's always there. Okay, so let's say you give in to the temptation. Um, what do you do in situations where a breach of peace occurs because you mishandled your anger? Um, so, like... And you said things that you didn't mean in that situation. <laughs> what 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 do you what steps do you take to damage control? How do you work towards reconciliation? What does that look like? You follow the instructions of the scripture. Mm-hmm. You, you go to that person and you say, "I I screwed up, and I I need you to forgive me." And you know you, uh, yeah, you swallow your pride and you ask for forgiveness. I mean, mm-hmm. and you do your best to to make amends and and to reconcile. Um, it has to be a real, a, a real apology too. It can't be a fake apology. Like, I'm sorry you were offended by what I said. Right. Like that is fake. That is not real. Or it can't be like, because the worst apology for me, I hate apologizing when I was right, but I responded wrongly. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Those are the worst because I'm like, I'm sorry, but I know I was still right. Like yeah. you can't apologize that way because it's. So it's got to just be 100% humble. Like, okay, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And I might have been right, but I was wrong. Because the way I responded was wrong, it invalidated my 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 rightness. Yeah. You know, in those in those kind of instances, I try to I try to isolate what it is that I did that was wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So if I, you know, if I was if I was right in what I said, but I was wrong in how I said it, and I was hurtful, then I'll apologize for that, right? Say, I am sorry that I hurt you, mm-hmm. right? And, and mean it. Uh, but, you know, but yeah, that's really hard when you know you were right and you, you 
but you were wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, this idea of isolating where you went wrong. I think is super important because shame seems to have a way of cascading the wrongness into all, all kinds of areas of our mm-hmm. lives where actually we aren't wrong. And so uh, this this applies to breakdowns of anger and loss of self control. But I think it also applies to like if you get rejected for a job interview interview for instance Mm -hmm. or you get rejected by a date it's like you could take that and you could be like okay oh i got rejected for this thing that must mean that i'm not who i thought i was that must mean that you know for the last decade of my life what i've been doing has been fake like you you can you can just spread that all the way back into your life and it, it can destroy you and when reality, it might just be that the person who was interviewing you was hungry for lunch. And so they were in a bad mood and like they had a stack of applicants that were coming after you. So they just wanted to get out of there. Yeah. Like it could be anything. And, and so it is, it's super important to be judicious in how you search out and pinpoint the areas where you were wrong. And I think maybe community comes in here, right? Like maybe having people around you to arbitrate and to look mm-hmm. at like, okay, specifically, what did you do? because there's a whole bunch of things you didn't do and there's a whole bunch of things that you're doing right. And we don't want to allow this problem to fragment off into those other things and cause you to start to doubt yourself in all these other areas. Yes, <laughs> I concur. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, let's say that you have something like this happen and you refuse to reconcile for whatever reason. Um, how does a refusal to reconcile impact your ability to worship? And if you're in a, a scenario like this, or you're in an episode like this, um, should you take a break from church until reconciliation happens? No. Yeah. Scripture uh, to me, scripture is clear. I think t- two different times, you know, Jesus talks about, Hey, if, if you have a problem with your brother, um, you stop worshiping and go, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to get my references wrong. If you, if you have a problem with your brother, you go and reconcile. That's Matthew 18, right? So if you've been offended, if somebody has offended you, you go fix you it. You go fix it. But then there's another instance where Jesus is talking about, hey, if you know your brother has ought against you, right. you lay down your sacrifice and you go fix it. So it's not, it's not their responsibility. If, if you're not offended, it's still your responsibility as a mature believer to, to help br- build a bridge to a broken relationship. Um, and and so the, the question, do you stop going to church? No, you don't stop going to church because that, that is a surefire way to disengage from the godly community that God has planted you in. Um, so for me, it's like it's my responsibility to fix relationship, whether it's my fault it's broken or not, whether I'm offended or not, it's still my responsibility if I consider myself a mature believer. Yeah. And if I am the person who's been offended and I am refusing to reconcile, then I need to I need to ask myself what's that about, right? Um and you know, and if I'm the other on the other side of that, right? If I'm the person who is is not offended, the person who is seeking reconciliation, um, I have to recognize that sometimes reconciliation isn't possible because it takes two people to reconcile. Yeah. Forgiveness only takes one person. Right. I can forgive you whether you want to reconcile or not. But reconcil- reconciliation is, is a two-way street. And so uh, there, there are a lot more moving parts there. Yeah, that, that piece uh, it, it is really interesting about Jesus saying to lay your sacrifice at the altar and then go sort things out with your brethren you know, mm-hmm. before What's interesting about that is that it seems to suggest that he's telling you that you need to leave the thing which is valuable to you at the altar and then go. And it's not like it's not like he's saying take it with you and mm-hmm. and go and go with it. Like mm-hmm. it's like 
leave it here. And I think that that's intentional, right? Because it's like, you're, you're, you're leaving your value in the church. It, you're still valuing your, pre, your presence in the community, in the body of Christ. And you're leaving that which you value there. And then you're going to reconcile or you're attempting reconciliation with your brother. And Todd, like you said, like, it's not always reconciliation, but I think in these situations, at least in Matthew five, where the, you know, we have this discussion about leaving your sacrifice at the altars. I think that a lot of that is about your, it's your wrath, right? Your own wrath. If, if you're wrath filled and you're thinking about how much you hate your brother, then you can't worship effectively, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's your, your, your prayer, all of that is, is rejected by God yeah. if you're, if it's coming from that kind of heart, but you may not see reconciliation whenever you go and you try to right your wrongs, you know, you could be Zacchaeus and all the people who you offered money to are just like, no, we don't want it. You ripped us off. Mm-hmm. We, we refuse your attempt. Yeah. Um, but he's still okay there, right? Because it's not his fault anymore. It's the, the onus is no longer on him. He attempted, he tried, he tried to set his own heart, right? I mean, you can set your own heart, right? Correct. Whenever yeah. you're, you're just trying to, uh, you try to make amends and, mm-hmm you can, you can get back to a healthy heart, even if you've caused damage that other people are unwilling to forgive you for. Absolutely. That's, that's, man, that's so important for people to know, because I think they think that you have to erase the episode. Mm-hmm. You have to erase yeah. the wrong and the person has to view it. balance as it's it out. Or, yeah. yeah. Like if it's out there in the ether, that it's still going to be infecting your heart, but it doesn't have to. And that's one of the beauties of, of this whole thing. Well, and even, you know, that reference, um, like leaving, leaving your gift at the altar. I mean, the implication is um, that God cares more about um, God cares more about relationship than he does the sacrifice. Right. Right. Like he cares more about how we, how we are like functionally working with each other and loving each other than he does um, us being in like the religious kind of right standing. Cause actual right standing is that I'm in healthy relationship with the people around me. Um, whether, whether my, my sacrifice gets offered or not, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that, that is an opportunity for God to show us what his priority is. And, and I mean, I've said this before, but, um, the truth is every, every person I have conflict on conflict with is loved deeply by Christ. Yeah. And if I'm in conflict with them, I'm in conflict with Christ. So like these two things are inseparable. If if my relationship with Christ is healthy, then it should impact my relationship with the people around me. And if my relationship with the people around me are healthy, it should positively impact my relationship with Christ as well. Um, and I mean, I've again, I've said from stage, uh, if you say, Mel, I love you, but I can't stand your wife, like we're gonna have conflict because you've got conflict with somebody I love deeply, and I feel like this is how, this is how Christ looks at us. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're in yeah. conflict with people, it's like, hey, I love them, I died for them, but you're gossiping about them, or you're being critical of them, or you're holding a grudge toward them, or whatever it might be. Yeah, you're attacking, a, you're attacking something that Christ values immensely. And yeah. if you're doing that, you either don't know that he values them, and that means you don't know him, or you don't care that he values him. And I think that's my possibly even, an even worse yeah. situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so we see this happen a lot, I think, in churches where there's like a conflict at the level of the congregation between um, different members, and then some of them leave, or mm-hmm. one of them leaves. Um is that, does that happen? First of all, is it the pastor's responsibility to mediate those conflicts so that, the, so that the exit doesn't happen? Um, secondly, 
does such a thing happen because people misunderstand this idea? Like they're just, they're just not grasping it. Is that where that's coming from? So is it the pastor's responsibility to mediate that and prevent it from occurring or from, from taking the final step of, okay, we're leaving this church. Um, do you, do you think that that's the case? Should that fall on the pastor? Um, I think so. Honestly, uh, I, I think probably, and <laughs> you know, this is, uh, not something I certainly would enjoy, but, um, I think that probably we exercise church discipline far less than we should, to mm-hmm. be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will, I will, I will agree with Todd and disagree with Todd. It's kind of like in my house when my girls would fight, um, I would expect them to work it out. Like, I don't want to have to deal with this. You guys figure this out, right? Like even in, you know, they're one's a 20 year old, one's a 17 year old. Like when Abby's home, they'll still talk. Well, it's her turn to do dishes. No, I did. It's your turn. And most of the time I'll just be like, you guys figure this out. Like we have to figure out a way to live in this house together. You guys figure it out. And that's the way I, I would prefer to handle church conflict. Like be mature enough to figure this out. Yeah. Um, you should not need a, a mediator or a moderator to figure this out. Um, but unfortunately that doesn't always happen. So yeah, I think it does come back to the pastor just like it does the parent to say, okay, let's work through this. Stop being a jerk. And you know, you need to forgive this. And cause then at least, um, at least everything is, is kind of laid bare to go, okay, here's what reality is, at least as far as I can ascertain it. And that still does not mean that somebody's not going to leave because I've had experiences like that where it seemed like, okay, I think we're good. And, you know, six weeks later, one of the families was gone. Well, God was leading us somewhere else. Oh, it has nothing to do with the. Right. No, no, no. (laughs) All right, whatever. So, uh, so yeah, I think it is. And I think it's helpful for the pastor to be involved. But like Todd said, I think a lot of times we're scared of losing people. So we don't want to have a hard conversation. We don't want to say, Hey, you're acting a fool and let me help rein you in. Like, this is for your benefit for me to correct you. Uh, we don't always see it that way. Yeah. So here, here's a, let's, let's flip the coin a little bit and we'll, let's say, um, somebody is angry with you. Do you entertain? That never happens here for sure. <laughs> I never get angry and no one ever gets angry at me yeah, for sure. We're just perfectly, <laughs> we spend all of our time in Vipassana meditation. Um, here at Summit Church. Uh, okay, <laughs> I probably have to cut that part. Uh, okay, um, so so someone gets angry with you, and do you? So so there's two ends of the spectrum here. There is entertaining the reasons why they're angry, mm-hmm. and entertaining their anger, and saying, mm-hmm. okay, maybe something's wrong with me, and that's why they're angry with me, and I need to figure mm-hmm. out what that is, and we're going to do an investigation and all this. And then there's gaslighting. There's like. Oh, why are you angry? What, like, you, you, this is your problem. The problem mm-hmm. is in you. Yeah. Like, and mm-hmm. trying to kind of make them seem like there's they're not really they shouldn't be angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you normally fall on this? Because it seems to me like it's not healthy to entertain a person's anger every time they're angry with you. And that happens at the level of pastoral leadership and at the level of uh, in in a marriage or in a yeah. in a romantic relationship. Like sometimes a person's anger is not justified, and if you take it into account and you start to make transformational changes in yourself in accordance with bad anger, then everybody goes off the rails. But at the same time, gaslighting is not okay either. And no. so wh- wh- I guess it's case by case, but how do you, how do you tell on a case by case? Like what do you, what, what is your plumb line for truth? It's scripture, right? But like, how yeah. would you, how do you navigate that in the situation? Well, honestly, it's, n- it's really not that difficult 
to figure out pretty quickly if somebody uh, is really interested in working through an issue and reconciling or if they just want to give you a piece of their mind. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard to figure that out. Um, and once once you're able to to ascertain which one of those it is, then I think you proceed differently depending on, you know, what kind of feedback you're getting from that person. Okay, so you raise an interesting point. So it's it's almost uh, the first filter is less about the subject matter of their anger, and it's more about their intentions with their anger. It's more about like, mm -hmm. okay, what are they trying to accomplish here? Mm -hmm. And so they could be angry about something that's valid, but if you can tell by communicating with them that they're not committed to telling the truth, they're just gonna lie to you or whatever, they're not really trying to heal, they're not trying to heal the relationship, then even if it's a valid reason, you just you just stay away from it. Well, and sometimes I'll even start the conversation with, "Hey, what are you? What are we trying to accomplish in our conversation today? Like, what are you? What are you hoping to get out of this?" And sometimes they'll, I mean, they might not say, "I just want to tell you how big a jerk you are," but like that's essentially what they say, you know. Okay. Um, well, I just need you to know how I feel. Okay, well, let's talk through this. Um, but to, I think Todd's exactly right. I think it's case by case, and I think. You can discern, uh, discern pretty quickly, you know, hey, is the problem they said they're here to talk about the actual problem or not? Because I've had people that were like, I'm so mad about and like, all right, well, let's talk. And they'll come in and sit down and it's like, oh, you're not really mad about that. You just don't like me fundamentally as a, as a person. Um, so it doesn't matter what I do. You're still not going to like it. Um, but yeah. it, but and so that's going to be the case. And that's the case in every church. That's the case across America in businesses and you know if you're a leader you're going to have people who just don't like you for whatever reason no matter what you do but we've got to be really careful and this is where self-awareness comes in and go okay am I am, um, am, am is it really everybody else's problem you know is it am I never at fault for anything and and that's hard to do because I've worked for pastors that they were they were perfect, and all these people left the church because they were horrible. They were evil. They were despicable, but not me. I'm never, you know. <laughs> and so I don't know where that line is, but I think we've it comes back to self awareness in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, and even the person who comes in, you know, just wanting to let you know how they feel, as Mal said, you know, sometimes if you're just willing to listen to them, mm -hmm. then you can get to a place where, yeah, you know, and but and so, man. It does. It really is on a case by case basis. It varies on each person. I think the the impetus for us as leaders uh, is to, you know, uh, well, to follow Ephesians four, right, where Paul says, you know, um, and I've got it pulled up here, so I don't don't misquote, right, um, where he says, um, make every effort. This is verse three of Ephesians four, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So like. So we have to ask ourselves, have I made every effort, right? I can't just dismiss this person because, you know, they're angry or I can't, you know, I don't need to give in to my anger or feelings in a given situation. I need to, have I made every effort to keep the unity of the bond of peace, you know, through the spirit uh, and, and just ask the Lord in each case. I mean, you're going to run across people who don't want reconciliation. They don't want, they just, they just really want to give you a piece of their mind. And mm -hmm. that's never any fun. Uh, and unfortunately, as the, as the leader, you have to sometimes listen to, to those things and, and then just with grace say, I, I love you. I'm sorry. 
um, and let them go. So how often in these situations do you find yourself defending yourself and that being productive towards reconciliation? Because I think about this, like it sounds unwise to defend yourself, like especially if someone's coming to you with ill motives, like it's like, why am I wasting my time with this? That's what it's kind of, it feels unwise. But at the same time, if you don't defend yourself, doesn't that make it feel like you're going to, the person's going to lose respect for you. I just ran right over him. Like you didn't, you didn't even try. Well, here's the thing. Um, and again, it comes back to that individual. If I discern at all that this person is here to understand, I will, I'll go, okay, I want you to understand. Here's why I made the decision to do that. Um, and I might've made the wrong call, but here's why we did that. Or here's why we didn't do that. Whatever it might be. Um, I will do that when I feel like there's any place that this person is really there just Hey, help me understand why you were doing or, or the conflict that we have is because that just a fundamental misunderstanding. But the difference for me is if I feel like this person's just here cause they're mad, this person's just here cause they're going to give me, a, they want to give me a piece of their mind. Then typically I won't, I'll just be like, well, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that you were offended. I'm sorry that we hurt you. That was never our intent. We love you. Um, and in fact, honestly, I had a conversation uh, one time with somebody that, they were upset about one thing, but then when they got in my office, it wasn't really this one thing. It was also this thing and this thing and this thing. And fundamentally it was like, I just don't like you very much. I don't trust you. And and so I just asked the person, I said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to leave our church, but do you think if you went to another church, you'd be happier? And the person said, no. And it was like, whoa, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. This is a breakthrough moment, right? Like, well, okay, let's work through this. Let's talk about this. Why do you think that is? And, um, and I feel like we had made some progress by the end of that conversation, but, but I wanted to help him see like, Hey, is the problem just we're doing everything wrong and my leadership's horrible or is there something else? Cause if he would have said yes, I'd have been like, then go to another church. Like, why would you stay in our church and be mad and be frustrated every Sunday and, you know, go somewhere else. It's okay. We're part of the same kingdom. And, um, so again, I think just being willing to ask some hard questions yeah. and trying to let the Holy spirit give us some discernment on how to navigate it. Is yeah. Helpful. That's really interesting because in that particular scenario, what you have, what you did, it seems to me what you did is that you, you laid yourself vulnerable. Like are, are these, are these just issues that you have with me and my leadership? You mm -hmm. just do not like me and my leadership. And to ask that question is to yeah. present yourself as incredibly vulnerable because you're risking the person saying yes and here's why and boom, 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 <laughs> boom. You know, and then the 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 the, the, the barrage comes. Yeah. Um, and but risking that vulnerability is what led to the breakthrough. So that's almost like the opposite of defending yourself in some sense, right? Like yeah. and, and so that's that's all very interesting. All of, a lot of this stuff comes down to the power of words. And so I want to ask you about the power of words. And then I have a follow-up uh, piece to that. So the, I think that words are much more powerful uh, than we think they are because they're so easy to speak. Like it's so easy to use words. It's so easy to speak words. And so we don't realize how powerful our words actually are. And I think you can absolutely destroy your entire life in an hour with your words. If, if you, you know, <laughs> just if you, ask Kanye West. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a perfectly valid case. Like it's just, you, you just build this massive hole with mm -hmm. your words and then you jump into it and, mm -hmm. and you can't stop speaking the things that are burying you. And maybe it's because, especially in his case, he's so wealthy and he's so powerful that 
he maybe he starts to think that nothing can touch him, even his own speech. But something as minor, I mean, we've been saying words for like the last 43 minutes or so, lots of words. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to do that, that, that I just don't think we understand the impact that it has on other people. And so this, this is something that convicts me all the time because I ask myself as I'm going about my day, all the people I interact with, what, what is what I'm saying to them doing to the relationship I have with them? What is it doing to the way they view God? Like, mm-hmm. what is it? Yeah. How, what just exactly how far are my words reaching? Um, and so I want to know what you think about that. What you think about the power of words? Do you think about it on a daily basis? Do you, do you process the things you're about to say before you say them? How careful are you with that? Is it possible to be too careful? Um, and then once we get through that, I want to know what, what your perspective is on what it means to speak life into someone. So power of words, what's your opinion? All right. So the, the things that come to mind is we, you know, you've probably all heard the phrase talk is cheap. Um, that when we say talk is cheap, we don't mean that words aren't valuable. What we're talking about is the incongruence between someone's character and what they're saying. You could say a lot of things, but if your life doesn't align with the values that you espouse, then those words are worthless. Um, and so when we, when we talk about the real weight and value of words, we, we have to understand that we have to have a life that is congruent with those or the words do lose their value, which is, you know, I mean, we've seen it often, right, with pastors who lose their influence or or lose their their ability to speak into other people's lives. They 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 fall from ministry because their their life is incongruent with the, what they've said. And then the the bigger issue that happens is that the the thing that was said begins to be questioned, right? So it wasn't that they like there are, there have been some really good preachers right? Who said really good things from the pulpit. Uh, and then because their character didn't line up with it, the things that they said, even though they were true, begin to be questioned. Mm. Uh, and so so there's the real danger, right? It's, I mean, Paul even talks about it. He says, you know, he says, man, I, I want to, I train my body, right? He says, I train my body like an athlete, so that he's talking about resisting temptation in this regard. He says, I, I train like an athlete so that so that after preaching, I don't fall, mm-hmm. right? Because he saw that importance. He understood that thing. And we have to understand that as, as pastors and preachers, that, that our character has to align with uh, the truth that we preach. And that, that doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. Uh, in fact, sometimes it's just the willingness to recognize that we're not perfect that that causes us to fall in line with with God's word uh, in regard to something. Uh, but that's the first thing that comes to mind for me is that talk is cheap, but words are valuable, and we have yeah. to understand why. Yeah, and um, I grew up in Oklahoma, and and there's a movement right now um, to um they've started some elementary schools for native american students to learn their native language to immerse them back in their native language because they've recognized they they're losing their culture mm-hmm. because they've lost their language um and so they're they understand this direct tie between culture and language the the words we speak the the way we speak all this shapes culture 
Uh, we talk about it at our church some, but I mean, um, even like my teenage daughters, like they have conversations about things and the language they're using is indicative of their culture. Their culture is shaping their language and their language is shaping their culture. And, and I feel like, um, even in our lives, our language shapes our culture. The language I use shapes the culture of my life in a lot of ways. It shapes the culture of my home. Um, and so I don't think about the specific words as much because, and this might be oversimplification, but I just feel like uh, if my heart is right, my words are going to be right, you know, um, mm-hmm. out of the abundance of the heart, right? The mouth yeah. speaks. Mm-hmm. So if my heart is right, if I'm pursuing Christ, it doesn't mean I'm always going to get it right. I'm still going to have moments. I'm still going to say stupid things, especially me. I, you know, like to make jokes and I like to be sarcastic. So that's going to land wrong sometimes. Um, but generally speaking, if I make sure to guard my heart, I don't have to be as concerned about guarding my words and my words, if my heart is right, are going to naturally help build the culture that I want to build in my home and in my workplace and in my, you know, church and, and those kind of things. Um, but I think there is an intentionality about it as well. I think some people are, are more prone to life-giving words, and I'm not trying to get ahead of you, but, you know, I think some people are more prone to speaking life over people, and I think part of that might be because that's the way they receive love. They like mm-hmm. words of affirmation, so they e- they very easily give words of affirmation out, and um, and that was when I got hired at my last church in Oklahoma. It was a big church, and the person that hired me said, hey, um, one of your number one jobs is to encourage our team leaders on Sundays. And this guy just said, I'm bad at that stuff. (laughs) And so I want you to do it. You do it really well. And I was like, all right. So on Sundays, man, I've made all the rounds, walked around every department, talked to as many leaders as I could. And I just want to encourage them tell them, man, you're doing great. Thank you so much for serving. Even, even now at summit, that's one of the key things I'll tell leaders almost every Sunday when I see them, man, thanks for serving today. Thanks for being part of the dream team. Um, this thank you really does go a long way. So I think it's important for leaders to understand like, Hey, does this come naturally to me or not? And if not, I need to, I need to exercise some discipline and start saying some things that are going to elicit life from people and stir them up. Yeah. Okay. So we've identified two things that I think are incredibly powerful. And when you have something that is incredibly powerful, much like a weapon, it's dangerous. I Mm -hmm. think there's a lot of danger involved in both of these elements that you guys have uh, so well uh, described. So the first one is that, yes, if your character is, if you, if you demonstrate so much, um, disintegration between like who you are and what you say, then people stop listening to what you say. And Mm -hmm. then even if you say good things, no one hears you. Mm -hmm. And if you live in a space where no one hears you, that's a quick road to insanity as far as I'm concerned, because like you just can't communicate anymore. Like, you know, you think of like the, the person who um, maybe struggles really hard with alcoholism and is also a pathological liar at the same time. Like if you ever met someone like this, it's just, it's just unbelievable how difficult they are to, uh, get along with mm-hmm. as a as a yeah. person, yeah. Um, and they get themselves wedged into this spot in life where no one hears them. Like they just, and they get stuck because they you can't get out if no one's willing to hear you. Yeah. If you get yourself stuck in a corner like that and no one's willing to exchange truth with you because they think that everything you say isn't true, there's no way for you to recover. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's being aware of that danger. Um, I think would help people be a lot more careful with both what they say so that they don't speak too highly 
in comparison to who they actually are. And so that they're careful to demonstrate if there is incongruency between themselves and the things that they're teaching and they're saying that they point that thing out and they say, Hey, look, you know, this is true, but I want you guys to know that I'm not living up to this, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So just being aware of that power, I think helps a lot too. And then Mel, you're talking about how you're, you're careful about the words you use because you understand and you've seen how the words that you use shape the culture, both in your life and in your ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's pretty fascinating because I think a lot of people, they, they don't really understand that how that happens. Like, I don't think they believe that that happens. And I think that's one of the reasons why people are so motivated for like the 10 things to do to make your church thriving like mm-hmm. on all these, they think that there's like a magic bullet and they're not looking low enough. They're mm-hmm. not looking at the, the daily things and they're thinking to themselves, okay, well, if I, what, if I make the rounds and I ask how my staff is doing and I tell them, I identify the ones who uh, receive encouragement well, and I give them encouragement, I might be tired of doing that. I might not feel like doing it today, mm-hmm. but I understand that there is a direct relationship between those kinds of words and the health of the thing that I'm trying to make healthy. Yeah. Um, and so being aware of that too, like these are both such important tools for, I, I think for ministry and for life itself yeah. personally. So let's, let's end on this. Um, how does this change when the medium of communication changes? So texting, um, Twitter, things like that. Do you just, I'm learning, you know, I'm, I'm only 30, I'm turning 31 tomorrow. Um, but I've definitely grew up in the age of like, don't call me. Like, you know, I'd rather <laughs> yeah. just text, let's, let's just do that. Yeah. Uh, but I have destroyed, I think more than three relationships just through, just through not understanding how my communication is not delivered properly mm-hmm. through text. Mm-hmm. It's hard to write. That's why there are only, they're not very many classics. Like they're not very many best-selling authors. Yeah. Writing is hard. Good mm-hmm. prose is hard. Yes. Delivering your voice in writing mm-hmm. is hard to do. Mm-hmm. But here we have, everybody has a device where they're like, okay, I'm going to tell this person what I think. Yeah. But no, like that's a bad idea, right? Yeah. Well, and um, I mean, so every degree of separation makes communication more difficult. So face-to-face with someone where you can see their body language, you get all of that uh, biofeedback, all of those things, you know. So that's that's the, the clearest form of communication, right? Mm-hmm. Because you get all the nonverbal stuff as well as the verbal stuff. One degree of separation from that, a call on the phone, still limits the effectiveness of communication. And then when you take that even a step further and you remove all vocal inflection, you remove all of that and you mm-hmm. go to text only, the the opportunity for misunderstanding is multiplied exponentially. Uh, it is a it's a really dangerous way for us to uh have that be our primary mode of communication. I actually had a conversation with one of my daughters just the other day about the importance of the precision of language, knowing what you mean when you use a word uh, and why. Uh, she kept saying, "I'm having just, I'm having a great day." I said, "Well, what, what, what makes your day? What's made, what, what made it a great day?" Oh, I don't know. I just, you know, I said, "Oh, so you feel good." 
well, yeah, but it's been, it's just a great day. I'm just, I'm slaying, right? You know, and then, and I was like, well, what is so Riding in a sleigh? Is that what you Yeah, you're exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You know, and so then we, we, I, you know, I just started to kind of unpack that with her and mm-hmm. say, okay, you know, if you're having a great day, that's awesome, but you need to be able to identify what made this day great, what separated this day from other days. Or do I just feel good today? And that's okay if I just mm-hmm. feel good today. But that, that precision is important because not only does it help us to communicate what's, what's really going on in our heart to the people around us, but it helps us to understand ourselves better. Uh, yeah. And when we, when we always speak in generalities and, and then texting takes that even to a greater level, right, then, then we don't know people. And we, you know, there's a reason that people identify feeling more isolated and lonely than ever, even though in we're more connected. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my girls accuse me all the time of being a terrible texter and it's because like, you use punctuation. Yeah. Because yeah. I use punctuation <laughs> because I don't, you know, I don't have a screen full of words, you know, they'll ask me a question and I will respond. Yes. <laughs> Sounds good. And I never have an emoji or, you know, uh, so I'm a terrible texter. Um, old man problems. It is. Yeah. It is. I, yeah. Yeah. So I get that. Um, but I, I just feel like, um, like, is it my responsibility to be a good texter because the, the age requires it or demands it? And I don't know. Per, my personal conviction is no, like, no, I don't need to ad- adapt to all that kind of stuff. And maybe that's just my old man coming out of me. <laughs> but, um, I still feel like, uh, I still feel like face to face verbal communication is the most important yeah. part. Um, no matter what. And you can find people that I can help you, you know, get better at some of that if you need to. But, um, but I do feel like language is important. Um, in our culture, um, you know, we could have a whole conversation about that. You know, the, um, hijacking language and turning words into other words and texting all that kind is the of downfall and, of western civilization oh my gosh maybe not <laughs> texting specifically maybe tiktok or yeah well anyway. you know like i think about to, to be known as a terrible texter is like a superpower in some ways <laughs> well yeah because like I, I want you to let my girls know that that would help me think about how treacherous texting is though like we've just mm-hmm. outlined todd you did a great job outlining all the reasons why communicating in this sort of with these degrees of separation is it's treacherous Mm -hmm. and if you don't do it right then the misunderstanding is grafted onto you as a person and so Mm -hmm. when you meet with that person face to face they're coming at you with a misperception of you from the beginning but if you're known as a terrible texter then you're giving it out no matter (laughs) what right like it's it's like okay well Well, he's being a jerk but it's because he's a terrible terrible texter. texter okay you get a pass so yeah i like that I think that's good. So if you're listening to this and you're good at texting, just start throwing it. Just <laughs> yeah. Just tank. Tank it. And you will get lots of grace when it comes to texting. So uh, yeah. Start responding with K and yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. a thumbs up. Yeah. And Apparently that's that. very aggressive, which I did not know. But. <laughs> All right. Uh, well you used an exclamation point. <laughs> right. What are you trying to say? Like, <laughs> yes. What? I was excited. I don't. What are you talking about? One of my daughters. Was Why like, did you yell at me? Yeah, one of my daughters said, "Dad, when you use periods in your text, it feels very aggressive." It's like, what? Yeah, yeah, I've heard the same it, thing. It's, it's the end of a sentence. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry that I'm literate. <laughs> yeah, we will be very lucky if our society survives this. Okay, well, 
Mel, Todd, thank you. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, guys, for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcasts.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode.